you're about to hear a true story of someone who has taken life's lemons and made lemonade. I am Heidi, your host, and thank you for joining me. Jason, welcome to Heidi's Lemonade Stand. I am so excited to talk to you. I've heard about you, but I really am anxious to hear your story more. So start out by telling me just a couple of things about yourself. Okay, so I'm a, a therapist by trade. So I've been doing that for about 15 years, helping people with uh, <laughs> grief and, and going through hard things and uh, you name it, I probably heard it. So that's what I've been doing for the last 15 years. Um, I come from a family of seven kids, so learned how to be resilient, being raised with five boys and two girls, and I'm, I'm from Utah, so I'm born and raised, and I don't live too far from my family, and I uh, just love it here, so oh, it's a blessing awesome. to be here. Mm -hmm. Good. Well, I've heard about something you're doing, and so I'm sure there's a story behind what you do. And I need you to take me back and share with me <laughs> your lemon to lemonade story. Awesome. So the way that things got started is um, probably about three, three and a half years ago. I remember pausing and taking a moment of our life and it was the best that it's ever been. Like um, just to give you a couple of highlights, I was a clinical director at a recovery program. I, I love my job. I was helping a lot of people. My boys were thriving in sports and school. We were building a house. <laughs> and uh, my wife had uh, struggled with losing weight um, for years and she never could get the weight off. And she, she uh, did some weight loss surgery. And about this time she had lost a hundred pounds. She was feeling so good about herself that she hasn't felt for years. And I started to see the light come on and she was excited about life. And we, we felt like, all right, life is moving forward. And we've worked so hard the last 10 years to get to this point. And we felt like we were in such a good spot to be able to continue on. Me and Valerie were starting to see the, the vision open up of what our life was going to be like. Like we were going to live in this house or we're going to raise our boys. They're going to go off here, here, <laughs> they're going to bring the grand, it's just like this vision of like, this is how life was going to be. So we, I felt, oh, another highlight during that time is my, my brother that was 40 finally got married. <laughs> so all seven kids were finally married at this point. And this was September of 2000, I think 2018. So we were just like, life's happy. Life is so good for us. And uh, we don't, have any complaints and we feel that we're in a really good spot to to move forward to give back and help a lot of people because for me as a clinician I was helping people in their recovery in their hardest moments and then my wife was I mean she was always giving and anybody that moved into the neighborhood or anybody that was struggling she was the first one to go over and just comfort them and and help so we felt like we have arrived and life was good. Sounds perfect. I love it. Mm -hmm. Then what happened? Um, my wife came to me and she says, hey, Jason, I, I found this lump in my stomach. And uh, she said, can you feel it? So I felt it. And um, it was a large lump in her stomach. And we talked about, she goes, I don't, I don't know what this is. What could it be? And we talked about whether it be 
like uh, uh, something from the weight loss surgery. Um, we, we couldn't figure it out. And I said, hey, let's just wait. Let's not jump to conclusions. Let's wait and we'll see in about a week. So a week went by and we noticed it grown. And that's where some concerns and worries started to fill our heads and we began to talk about what, we, what was the next step. So our primary care doctor, he did some tests and, and talked to her and he said, are you pregnant? <laughs> and we thought, well, that, that would be probably impossible because over the years, me and my wife have struggled with infertility and we've had to do uh, IVF to be able to get pregnant. So we, didn't, we said that can't be an option. So I said, well, let's send you to your OBGYN and get some scans done. So we did some scans. Um, we did some blood work, but there wasn't really anything at this point that was telling us that there was something wrong. All we know is everybody was concerned and everybody was telling us, we don't know, but we're really worried for you. So you, you can probably imagine that just sitting in this unknown, <laughs> like, oh no, like, our life is put on pause. Our life was going so well, like what, what, what does this mean for us? So I remember just going to a doctor, a couple doctors here and there, ran some scans. And I remember after a scan that her, my wife's OBGYN went through, um, she says, I'll, I'll look at the scans and I'll, I'll call you. So I remember going to the movie. We went to a movie to kind of get our minds out of it. We went to, I think it's Littlefoot. I still can't, I still can't watch that movie without crying <laughs> because it puts me in a spot of where that is where we got some news where she called right before the movie and says, Valerie, I'm so sorry. It doesn't look good. These scans just, there's some, there's some spots all over your body. And uh, we just sat in the movie and we cried because we were so sad about what was happening. But again, we didn't quite know 100% whether what was actually wrong. We just knew that the scans and everything. And uh, so she sent us to uh, an oncologist and we began to talk about what were our options. Again, we did some blood work, we did some tests and she, she couldn't say whether it's one thing or the next. So again, our life is on hold, waiting for the outcome, and we didn't know what to do except follow the doctor's recommendation. So we found ourselves up at St. Mark's Hospital having exploratory surgery, and my wife was getting a partial hysterectomy. And during surgery, the doctor discovered there was a large mass on her colon, and she didn't go any farther, but she closed up and then I remember being in the waiting room at the hospital with my, my in-laws, uh, my wife's best friend and my sister, and she coming in and she dropped on us the news of our life that says, I'm sorry, I'm so sorry, but your wife has stage four colon cancer. And up until that point, there was no family history. There was no warning signs. And, and hearing you have stage four colon cancer is just a punch in the gut that that news just began to change my life. And then I, my, my mind became racing because I thought about all the options. What are we gonna do? How are we gonna take care of the boys? Like, how are we gonna afford this? And it was just like, so the doctor says, I'll come back and I'll, 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 when Valerie wakes up and I'll talk to you guys. So we just sat there and just sobbed in the room and just waiting for like, what do we do? How do we pick up the pieces? So. 
the doctor came back and talked to us a little bit and talked to Valerie and talked to her about cancer. And then I remember her leaving and I was just like, I need some answers. So I followed the doctor down the hallway and I was like, stop, like how much time? What about this? What, blah, 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 blah. And she finally stopped me and she goes, Jason, calm down. This is a normal process to go through of what you're feeling. But she looked at me and she goes, you know what, Jason, cancer has a way of enhancing your life. And um, I, I didn't want to hear that. <laughs> I, I wanted my old life. I didn't want my life to be enhanced because my life was good already. So hearing the words, your life, it will be enhanced from cancer was something I just didn't want to hear. And I just was angry and upset at the doctors. Like, how dare you tell me that my life is going to be better or enhanced because of this cancer experience? And, and Heidi, that thought, just the first year just raced through my head where I'd wake up and I'd be depressed or my kids would be fighting. And I was like, yeah, really? This isn't being in. <laughs> I was like, dang you, doctor. Why did you tell me this? We were living in an apartment because we sold our house. And then we went back to my parents and that's where we stayed. Life expectancy was two to three years. Now that's pretty good for stage four, but we didn't quite know what that meant. So I remember doing treatment. Um, it's super exhausting and overwhelming. And I remember as a caregiver, as a provider going to work and again, hearing everybody's challenges <laughs> and dumping on, or even, even the clients that just complained about nothing. And I just wanted to say, you want something to complain about? <laughs> Let me share you a little piece. But um, that was a hard moment to just listen to people, manage my life, get kids to school. And during that time, it was just such a stressful time. And I remember at this point, one, one moment in our life that kind of shifted and changed is someone brought over a, a sunshine basket, a yellow basket, dropped it off. And uh, I remember my boys laughing again and my wife smiling. And that moment is just priceless and time stamped in my head of that was a joyful time during treatment. So that has always stuck with me. And I remember that. And it's it's a thought that uh, later down the road has changed what I, what I'm doing and what I'm experiencing. But the hard thing about this story is we were given two to three years, but after doing everything that we were asked to do from the doctor and trials, nothing worked. And, and I think that was hard because we were doing everything we asked and we felt like we could um, plead with God to say, hey, can you give us a break or can you give some breaks? But it nothing, nothing changed. And it was just nine months later, um, after all this experience, then she passed away. And then for a lot of people that go through grief is you um, there's a big rally call for you when your when your spouse or someone dies. There's so much support. Everybody's delivering casseroles and casseroles and everything. And then once that funeral gets over, then it's that's where people need the most support. So whoever's listening, when someone after the funeral is where you need the most support, because that's where I just kind of 
after nine days, I'm like, what do I do? And my boss is like, we need you. I went back to work after nine days. Not, not recommended at all. I'm, I'm in work. I'm trying to juggle my boys. I'm going through my own grief. I'm trying to work the best that I can. And um, I just found like I was just struggling for nine months, just struggling. And I didn't know what to do. Um, except just get up the next day and put a smile on. But I knew my, um, I, I knew my boys needed me. So I kept getting up and, and I, I went to work and I <laughs> cooked meals, <laughs> not the best meals, but I knew they needed me. And I think for, for that first nine months, it kept me going. It gave me a purpose. And I felt like work was giving me a purpose or even an outlet, but I knew nine months, it was a struggling time for me that I, I look back and that's what a lot of people that lose someone go through. So I was, I got to nine months and I remember at work going, I just need a lunch break. And I remember driving to a church parking lot close by and I just said, I can't do this anymore. This is so hard for me. Um, trying to do it all, trying to do everything that my wife did and trying to deal with this. And I felt all alone, despite there was people in my life that could help me. But I remember this, this moment at, at the church parking lot. I attached 14 people on this text and I text people this message about, hey, I need you to come to my house um, I just want to share what's going on and how I'm feeling. Will you please show up to my house? And at seven o'clock, people started to come over to my house. And um, if you've ever seen the show Intervention, <laughs> I, I say I called my own intervention. <laughs> and I got everybody that's in my circle of influence that's sitting in front of me. And this is just people I love and care about, childhood friends, my in-laws, my parents, my buddy that um, people showed up. And, and in this moment, I learned another valuable lesson. When you're going through a hard time, how important it is to have a healing team. Because in that moment, with those people wrapped around me, I was able to pour out my heart and tell them how bad and how, how difficult life was. And in that moment, we, they rallied with me and they began to talk about like what they could do for me. And I talked about the stresses of laundry and I talked about the stresses of meals and I talked about the stressfuls of kids. So people were volunteering of how to take some of this stressors off me. And for me, I felt like I was getting the help I needed because I was sharing what was going on. And that's another important part from a therapist. We talk about people that need help. You, you need to be vulnerable vulnerability invites vulnerability and, and allowing people to come and help you and I learned in that moment that my circle of friends knew my wife and they were grieving too and I think for me not inviting them back into my life it was affecting the way that they were grieving so giving them an opportunity allowed them to heal heal from the death of losing my wife so it was empowering for them and I don't recommend this to everybody, but I was in a position where I could um, quit my job and I could just um, take the summer off to be with my boys. Because at this point, my life and boys were operating on sad memories and they weren't sustaining us at all. 
<laughs> it wasn't helping. It was just making things worse. So I knew I needed to reconnect with my boys and I needed to build a happy relationship connected with happy memories. So as soon as I quit my job, I sat down with them and I made a bucket list of things to do, things that we wanted to do or accomplish. And, and, and these aren't like elaborate things. These are like we um, we planted two trees in our backyard in Valerie's honor. We wrote notes and we buried them with the trees. We went on a private airplane with a friend of ours. We went fishing at a fish farm, which I think I ruined my kids fishing experience because we are catching fish in five seconds now that now they don't want to go fishing but <laughs> um and then i know on one of these is we put a lemonade stand make a lemonade stand and and this is the part that i feel like connected to you heidi because of your podcast we made a lemonade stand and uh what we're our accomplish is to raise a hundred dollars and what we wanted to do is put together these baskets to two people, keep in mind two people, to be able to go and deliver to people that were going through similar experiences as us. So we, we opened up this lemonade stand and, and we had some family and friends, but then people from my, my past, my high school, people started to show up. And by the time the, the, as I counted up the money, looked at the Venmo, I had $1,500 waiting to, and I didn't really know what to do. I was in shock of how much support and love people were offering me. I called the young women's group in, 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 our, in our church group. And I said, hey, I got $1,500. Would you be able to put together 25 baskets, sunshine baskets? And they said, absolutely. So they, they rallied, they gathered all the stuff and they put these baskets together. And still at this point, I, I didn't know what to do. I was like, I got 25 baskets at my house, just staring at me. I'm like, what do I do with all this basket? So I put it out on Facebook. I said, is there anybody that has been impacted by cancer, terminal illness, lost someone? We would love to deliver these baskets. And people started to message me and started to tell me what was, we need this. We can, um, this person needs your support and your story. So I remember the first one we went to, and I, again, Heidi, I was driving to the, the Spanish Fork. In my mind, I was like, well, what am I doing? Like, I didn't, I, I haven't even thought all the way through this. I knew that I wanted to deliver this basket and I, and there was a family in need and we're driving down to Spanish Fork. And as soon as I opened up the door and I had a basket and they told us, and, and my friend told this sweet um, lady that had five kids that lost her husband in a construction accident because the, the trench had caved in on him. She was just crying because we were there supporting and we delivered this basket and we, we said, it sucks. <laughs> life sucks and life is hard. And I, I can, I, I, I know how this feels. And um, it, it was great because my boys were there. My boys were talking about them and they were connecting with their kids. And for a moment, this felt like a, a healing experience for me that I was doing something that I was meant to be doing and something that was healing me from the inside out.
And what was amazing is I remember walking out of there and feeling this overwhelming spirit and just, um, just happiness that my wife was there. And I thought that was the most powerful experience that I've ever, well, one of, I got to back up, one of that I've ever been a part of. And I, and I thought to myself, I need to do more of this. This was amazing. So <laughs> that, I guess that started uh, where, what I've been doing is being able to give these baskets to people that are struggling, people that are having difficult times and, and in a moment, what it's also done is it's been therapeutic for me because I, I'm able to get in front of people that were struggling. I'm able to tell my story. So, and then some of the intensity of the emotions are able to decrease because I'm processing my emotions. And then my boys were getting love and support that maybe I couldn't give in those moments each time we delivered a basket. And in a, in a sense that I always say this, this was our therapy that we found hope and enjoy that there's life after death and life after a difficult moment that gave me hope that, you know, I can be happy again and my boys can be happy again and we can love what we are doing despite losing my spouse. But this, I mean, as, as you've seen, Heidi, behind me is that box of all these boxes to hand out. Really, in a sense, this is a way of keeping my wife alive in my life. And I haven't forgotten her because I get to tell her story and I get to involve her in the process of healing and helping others heal. And that's what she would be doing if she was here. She'd be delivering baskets and helping. So in a sense, my wife is still with me. Um, every time I pick up a basket or every time I do something, it's like my wife is cheering me on and helping me through this process. Amazing. I'm just sitting here crying, of course. So, wow. Um, that you could take something so difficult and turn it to help other people. Like what a gift you are given and that you're giving to others. Yeah. I want to understand though, you're so young. <laughs> um, you hear colon cancer and you think of a elderly gentleman, right? Yeah. So your wife, your kids, you're all very young. Yeah. Yep. And that's one thing. It's like that where we're angry at God, we're like, yeah, my wife's 38. I'm 40. However, 42. Yeah. It's like, we still have life to live. We still have people to help. We still have kids to raise. And that's, that, that was hard to, um, accept. Um, our situation because it's like no 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 this happens to old people this doesn't happen to young families why why me like I'm we're helping why why are you taking something that's so beautiful out of my life and transforming my life to to enhance my life <laughs> right they didn't need enhancing so when you say why why me what what is your answer to that now you know what, that was, um, and I'll, I'll, I'll share something pretty special to me is I, I remember um, me and my wife would have conversations on the bed about life and about how treatment was going and, and what we were going to do. And, and I mean, these are pretty like 
intimate conversations and special conversations that I have. And I, and, and I remember when she looked at me and she says, Jason, maybe this is God's will. Maybe God is taking me for a reason. And I didn't like that. <laughs> I didn't like that because I was like, I, I, do, I don't like losing my wife because God needs her to be able to do something else. And because that felt like I was alone, I had to take this on and she was doing something that God needed. And that was, that was hard because again, I, I'm, we're doing good things. We're doing the right things. Why again, do you take my wife? That's something I've had to, to talk about and process and be okay with. And I think I learned, I'm, I'm becoming more accepting of this because of what I'm doing and how I'm, how I'm becoming the person I, I meant to be and how I am uh, beginning to enhance my life through these experiences. Seeing people change and being a part of people's life has helped me to accept the reason my wife had to pass away. I, w I wish she was here, but there's many things that I'm able to do because of where this challenge and trial has put me into. And again, remember going back to the doctor saying your, your life is being enhanced. And, I, and I, can, I can look at you in the eyes today, Heidi, and I can say my life has been dramatically enhanced. And I'm not, I am a different person today than I have ever been. And my life is being enhanced because of what I get to do on a regular basis. And I get to be able to go and be in front of people and I get to be able to go talk. And I, and so much of my life has been strengthened connections to my kids, connections to people I would never have met in my life. But it's because of this experiencing and accepting what accepting my challenge and and not saying why why this and being angry I think for a little while that's what I was doing at God and trying to understand that but I begin to change my narrative and saying what can I learn from this God what why what what is my purpose now that I don't have a spouse what can I do to be able to improve my situations and as soon as I begin to change that, then that's when I begin to get some answers. And that's where I begin to get some, some directive of where I need to go. I mean, the reality of it is when I stop saying why and what can I learn or what, what, what do I do next? I remember sitting at my, my um, kitchen table and writing um, just my meditation and saying, what do I do? And in that moment, that's when the inspiration of doing the, the, bucket, the bucket list came to me. And it was God telling me what to do so that I can help heal. And um, it's placed me in such amazing experiences in my life that are priceless to me. I think one example that is, sticks out is me and Valerie, when we got married, we lived in Provo. And our first house that we bought, we loved it. We had our first, we had our kids uh, born there. Um, and it had been years since we've seen the house. And when we put it out on Facebook of who to deliver to, a friend of mine in that same neighborhood said, hey, we got a friend that their daughter is going through cancer. 
and she gave us the address and I thought that looks so familiar and uh, <laughs> so we drove down and we pull up and it's the same house that me and Valerie lived in that was our first home and I I couldn't believe it so I was so excited to go in because I've done trim work, I've done painting, we did this, and it was still there. It was like, it was like so exciting to see that I was in the same home, but there was someone that was suffering. So when I was able to tell the family that I, I lived here, Valerie had her touch and Valerie's spirit is still here. That was such an amazing experience that I got. And then delivering this basket, the, the Be Like Val baskets to this family, it was like one of the, another sweet, sweet experiences. And my boys were there and they could see where they used to live. It was just, it was so amazing. But again, I wouldn't have been in that spot again, if I hadn't reached out and I hadn't kind of put myself out there to help and people are were inviting themselves into our lives to help and the, it was so amazing to go back to the same house and I literally could feel Valerie next to me saying keep it up Jason you're doing such a good job and I think in that moment I needed that and I needed to be there and I needed to have that experience so that I could keep healing and I could keep enhancing my life. <laughs> Thank you, doctor. <laughs> now <laughs> through this experience. And, and, and that is just one of the sweet experiences that I get by finding ways to give back and finding, um, serving other people and deliver them happiness. And it's just, it, it just brings me so much joy. And again, it, 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 speaking from a therapy, it's almost my therapy. Because I think when we're dealing with grief and past experiences, what I've noticed is when I share and I talk about this, the way that I know I've grown and gotten better is the intensity of the emotion has decreased. I still remember seeing my wife in the hospital. I still see my wife in the bed right before she passed away. I remember seeing her say, Jay, I'm tired. I think I'm ready to go. I still see that. But what has happened through me doing my work is that I don't feel so overwhelmed. And I don't, sh I don't share or talk a little bit. And it shuts me down for a couple of days. I'm able to have my moment. I'm able to cry. I'm okay. I'm a guy. I can cry. <laughs> I can cry in front of people and I can have that experience and I can let the emotion pass through because that is what helps us heal, allowing the wave of emotions to come up and just let them pass. And then what happens is that intensity of those emotions and that experience decrease and it doesn't have power over me but I still remember those moments and they're special to me. And today, as I think about those experiences that I have, or I hear a song that reminds me of my wife, I'm in a better spot because of what I'm doing and what I've done to be able to heal through this journey. I, I go back, Heidi, I go back to a couple of things that I did right was 
um, getting a healing team, I, I mean, that has been absolutely amazing. And, and one thing in a healing team is you can set it up to where you could have a code word. So let's say you're struggling and you're having a difficult time. You could tell your team members, I got a code word when I'm struggling. Now, I, I did a lot of this is when I text that one word to someone, she's in charge of sending it out to your team. And once your team gets that word, then what you can do is you can individually have those people do specific things in your teamwork. So a couple of those could be uh, someone comes over and does your laundry. <laughs> That's their way of helping when you say, I can't take it anymore. Someone comes over and takes your kids for a couple hours. Someone comes over and takes you away from the house. Someone comes over and says, hey, I'm going to take you to lunch. Someone sends you an uplifting text message. But that's a way of using your, your healing team to help when difficult moments and times come up. So that, that has been awesome. I mean, I go back into that moment of sharing how I feel, but my team has been there and they keep following up with me. I think another thing that has been helpful is, again, males don't talk. <laughs> we don't share emotions. I always joke that we don't have guys chips and salsa night, or we don't do bunko, or we don't go out and just chit chat. We'll sit in front of a game and, and um, have an a awesome experience, and we'll say two words. So, so for me, when I was going through hard times, I knew I had to share my emotions. So I invited a couple of male friends in my life to take me to lunch and ask the hard questions. So they would ask hard questions and they would say, how are you doing really, Jason? <laughs> so it didn't give me any wiggle room and I was able to share and I was able to do some work by inviting them into my life. So my team has been just amazing to be able to help me through the process and anybody that's listening that doesn't have a team. Um, find some people in your life that can help. They're, they they want to help. But what I've also known is people don't know how to help you. And Heidi, you're shaking your head. Yes. Um, here, here's an example of like, um, so I'd, it was hard to go to church um, to see people and families and people ha having happy moments and and people come up to you and they say, uh, what, what can I do for you? And you don't want people to say that because you don't know what to say but people don't know what to say and I remember the people that I let in are the people that stayed there and asked the harder questions and say how are you doing really and, and just stay in the moment with me until I could express my emotions because if I knew you weren't sincere and I and I I knew that they weren't going to stick around I had a hard time having them help me because I needed support. So I could, I got really good at saying the right questions to move them along until the right person came and asked me the right questions where I could get super vulnerable and cry. So that's what's hard is a lot of people don't know what to do. They, they always say, sorry for your loss. Sometimes I just, that's hard to hear. Sorry for your loss versus how are you doing with your loss? Like, how are you doing now? Like, how is how, ask emotional questions for people so that they can talk about how they're doing? So I love that idea of the healing team. Like, I'm just picturing this 
this like intervention you were talking about. And I think we all need to do that. I think we need to start that movement and let's do this. Let's start healing teams. And I love how you have that one person that you can text and they can get your whole team on board. So you're not having to reach out to every single person, having a hard time, having a hard time, you know, just one text to one person with a code word and they all know what to do from there. And I think that's amazing. That takes some planning and like that coordinating time ahead of time, but then it's set in place and you have that constant support for down the road, months, yeah. weeks, years down the road. Cause this yeah. is still new for you. My wife died June 12th, 2019. Yeah. And again, it, like you said, it takes work, but in that moment, when you have something hit you really hard, just think about all you had to do is send one word text. Yeah. And you, you could get all the help you need. Like that is just liberating. Like right. instead of calling someone and uh, can Discussing you come over? what to do? Yeah. Yeah. They I just, think that's amazing. They just, they just take the wheel and they just take yeah. over. And it's like, that's what people need uh, rather than just trying to figure it out in their, in the moment when they are, when they're feeling the most vulnerable and the, 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 the most emotional and to make that decision is really hard. So you have to say, just take it guys, take it and send out that text and say, Hey, I need some help. So you talked a couple of times about this sunshine buckets and the be like Val and this, this that you're doing. So just tell me a little bit more about that. It's crazy. Cause it's just kind of transformed. So I started delivering these buckets to people and I'm a part of some groups, um, the widow widowers group on Facebook. That's another good support for me. And people from out of state started saying, I want a bucket. I want this. I was like, I was like, how am I going to deliver a bucket? So what I did is I designed a box to be able to be shipped out. So I put the be like Val box together and I, I put them in there and I started shipping them out to people. And again, they, they get it. It's a sense of happiness. They share a photo, they share their experience and it's, it builds people up. I really can't keep up with the, the demand of how much people need and how much help there needs to be out there. So when they get the bucket is when they're in a good spot uh, they fill it back up and they pay it forward. <laughs> and there's there's a bucket today that's on four families. And I was like, yes, it's working. <laughs> so that that just that just brings so much joy to my heart and to have them share and to have them say, we went and shared with this family because we were inspired. We we need to be in a spot where we share more love and sunshine to other people so that we can help each other. And if we don't do this, I always go back to the quote of the opposite of grieving is connection. <laughs> so when you're grieving and going through a hard time, you just want to be alone or cry in your bed and stuff like that. But what you really need is you need your team. You need connection with people. And that's what this does is it allows people to connect to people and helps them heal together and gives them energy or support to help them continue and, and fight back of all the challenges that are going through. So we're, all of us are struggling, <laughs> yeah. so, but not all of us are talking and reaching out. <laughs> right. So, so what kind of things are in the sunshine buckets that people would refill to pass on? 
what we've done, Heidi, is what I found by going through this journey is there's not a lot of resources out there for people when they go through, like when you lose a spouse. Um, so what me and a friend of mine has approached me and he said, you know what, Jason, I like what you're doing. I think we want to, I want to help you make this um, into a, a, a bigger scale, into a business called givingsunshine.org. And so what we've done is we've, I've teamed up with, um, uh, his name's Wyatt, and we've created specific things that can help people when they go through a difficult time. So I'll give you an example is I noticed that um, people don't know what to do or say. So what we've done is we've created conversational cards, a deck of cards that when you have your team, you give them to people in your team. And that deck of cards tells you what to do. <laughs> it, it tells you what to say or how to coach them. And, and it just kind of coaches you through how to help someone through the grieving. And I was like, man, if I had in that moment and pass out those deck of cards, how much maybe simpler my grieving and that trial would go through. We have an affirmation calendar that gives you affirmations on a daily basis and just builds you up. We have a couple of things of my favorites are uh, Wyatt has written two, uh, three, bu three books. We're writing a couple more and they help to be able to talk about the cancer experience. So what this does is as you read it with family members or loved ones, it begins to open up a conversation and have dialogue about what's taking place. Because those can be harder conversations uh, to talk about, but the book as you read it together can open up that dialogue. And I don't think I did a very good job explaining to my kids about what's going on. So you either deal with it in the moment or you deal with it after the moment when it has time to build momentum <laughs> and it's harder to talk about. So that children's book allows you to have that dialogue and that conversation. A lot of a lot of these things, there's a blanket in there. There's um, there's uh, kids coloring books. There's um, in some of the baskets, we have some candy and treats. It's just like bring joy and sunshine to everybody and gives you, again, gives you the tools to help you. What turned into like a, a bucket of sunshine, um, and that's great, that's great to go deliver and connect, but when you have the resources and tools to help, it makes such a big difference and it helps the person get out of that funk quicker. I'm, it's not a, just a buck, I don't wanna say it's a bucket of junk, but it's, it's a bucket that heals, brings happiness, and it gives you the tools to help you get better. It's like, oh, I love this. <laughs> it makes me so excited. It's like it's like I'm doing therapy on a bigger scale with so many people. So I, I just I just I'm so happy and so grateful to be in this spot. And truly, my life is being enhanced <laughs> by what is taking place and what God is allowing me to do and direct me to do. And I can't be any happier. Like. My life is good. My life is happy. My boys are happy. Thank you. Wow. Thank you for sharing this. Thank you for opening up and thank you for doing what you're doing. What a gift you've been given and you're passing it on. And I just, my life has been enhanced just talking to you. So thank you. <laughs> thank you, Heidi. It's, it's been an absolutely pleasure. And again, sharing my story to help other people is, is what we need to do more of.
yeah. um, instead of holding it on and letting it impacting us in a negative way. I appreciate you let me be here and then be a part of this experience to, to teach and to help people and be be yoked together and helping people. This is awesome. <laughs> For sure. We got to pass around the lemonade. I love it. Exactly. <laughs> Amazing story. Incredible. Wow. You're still here? Well, then enjoy this little outtake from that interview. I think we need to be in charge of our happiness. Hmm. And uh, I know difficult things happen and they're hard and they impact us in many difficult ways. But I think we need to be in charge of how we can bring happiness back into our lives. And that's like being proactive of talking to people, uh, going to therapy, finding the right therapist that will help with us, um, doing the hard things so that we can grow and we can enhance our life because of the experiences that we have. We're all going to have difficult things happen to us in our lives. It's just a matter of how long do we want to sit in it and how long do we want to have that painful experience. I do, I do what I do um, because I want my boys to be happy and I want me to be happy and I want to still and have my wife be a part of my life. And that's that's what I'm doing. And I feel like she's been in my life more than ever. And that's such a blessing. The sun comes up every morning, like, <laughs> just like the sun, we got to get up and, and, and feel that energy and keep, keep pushing on. And, and I can say, if you do that, and uh, you'll, you'll find happiness, it's, it's out there, it's available to everybody, despite what the world tells us, despite what the circumstances of life tells us, we can still laugh and have happiness despite what's going through. It's just how we look at life and how we approach it. Yeah. And don't you think to yourself what your wife would want you to be doing too? Like, yeah. I think that's a big thing is we think by being sad and, and laying in bed all day and, and moping around and grieving longer and that it shows how much we care about them. <laughs> yeah. They're not saying, Hey, I'm so glad you're sad today. <laughs> yeah, right? You're, of course your wife isn't saying, oh, I hope you have a really miserable day missing me. Yeah. yeah. They're just they're just sitting there being sad for us at the same yes. time. Like, yeah. yeah. They're like, come on, you have a life to live. You're still alive. Please live your life. Please play with the children. Please serve oh, other people. That's yeah. what they want. And so exactly. I love that you're showing us that that's that's the realistic part of it is they want us to live and yeah. be happy yeah, and that's we're great... honoring them by doing that and you're honoring your wife by giving sunshine to everyone and i just yeah. think that's amazing so thank yeah. you absolutely thank you <laughs>